Good, good, good. Sorry about me. I'm a little step behind here. I, you know, I've, I think of the list of things that I have to do on a Sunday morning, and usually the microphone comes as the last one. So uh, the tech guys love when that happens. So um, uh, thank you for being here. Thank you for singing this morning. It's so good to hear the saints lift their voices as we uh, proclaim the gospel through song. Let's, let's look to the gospel and the scriptures now, friends. Let's, uh, let's take a moment and pray as we approach God's word this morning. Lord, we pray that your word would increase in our hearts. God, that our selfishness and our pride and our sin would decrease. As light of the gospel shines on us, may we shine it on others for your glory and for your kingdom. In Christ's name, and all God's people said, amen. Amen. If you would please open your Bible to Colossians chapter 3. We're continuing our sermon series through Colossians 3. This morning we're going to be in Colossians 3 verse 18 to chapter 4 verse 1. Uh, and as you turn there, I'll just remind you a little bit of the background of what we've been studying and uh, exposing you to through the scriptures. Uh, Paul wrote this letter to the church in Colossae. Uh, uh, he, he did so through Epaphras, who founded the church by proclaiming the gospel in the Lycus Valley. Uh, as he wrote this letter, he was writing to a church who was influenced by false teachers that rose from their congregation. They were proclaiming the message that Jesus uh, wasn't enough for them in their sanctification. Uh, they believed that they needed Jesus for salvation, but in order to grow in maturity and the Christ-likeness uh, that they wanted them to have, they wanted to add to the gospel. Uh, so they proclaimed to the Colossians that Jesus wasn't enough for them as they tried to grow in holiness and obedience. And what came out of that was that they needed to follow man-made instructions that these false teachers brought to them. They needed to observe festivals and uh, abstain from different eating practices. They needed to have other worldly visionary experiences. And Paul proclaims to them in Colossians 2, verse 6, he says, So then, just as you have received Christ Jesus, continue to live in him, being rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught and overflowing with gratitude. Uh, so Paul tells these Colossians that their walk with Christ begins because Jesus draws them near to God. He saves them. He makes a way for them to be in right relationship with God, the creator of the universe, the Holy One. And he tells them that they continue to walk and grow in the Lord by being rooted and built in Jesus. So the root structure is our salvation. We find that in Jesus we are saved and we see that as we continue to be built up like a tree, as it grows with beautiful leaves uh, and acorns, which we all love, uh, especially when we at the rake, we see that these fruits come from the gift of the Lord Jesus himself. Uh, our roots and our fruit come from Jesus. And so as Paul writes and warns them, he tells them, don't be held captive by empty philosophy and deceit. Don't be judged and don't be condemned by these false teachers. He then goes in Colossians 3 to tell them that their union is with Christ. That we are alive in Christ. Being in Christ makes all of the difference. Uh, Colossians 3 verses 1 through 4. So if you have been raised with Christ, seek the things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, for you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Our beginning of our salvation is in Jesus. Our continued walk is in Jesus. And our glory will come in the person of Jesus as we are united 
to Christ, as we are in him, our identity and our life changes. And so Paul in Colossians 3 starts this new conversation with the Colossians to tell them that there are five relationships that they need to see uh, as Christ influences them. And first is with the individual and their Savior. The individual and their Savior. Last week we looked at the individual and the local church. What does it look like to grow in the local church, to be in Christ, in the capacity of the gathered saints? And today we're going to talk about a few different relationships, particularly uh, two relationships, the Christian and their family and the Christian and their work. So read along with me as I look to Colossians 3 this morning, starting in verse 18. You can read silently in your head. The Word of God says this, Wives, submit yourselves to your husbands, as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and don't be bitter toward them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not exasperate your children so that they won't become discouraged. Slaves, obey your human masters in everything. Don't work only while being watched as people pleasers, but wholeheartedly fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, do it from the heart as something done for the Lord and not for people knowing that you will receive the reward of inheritance from the Lord. You serve the Lord Christ, for the wrongdoer will be paid back for whatever wrong he has done, and there is no favoritism. Masters, deal with your slaves justly and fairly, since you know that you too have a master in heaven. So in this section here in Colossians, Paul kind of starts a proverbial teaching, right? Uh, You see short little statements where he instructs these different relationships. And the idea is that for the Christian, as we receive redemption through Christ, that our union to Christ will influence the relationships that we have. And they influence the relationship of our church. They influence the relationship in our families, in our workplace, and with outsiders. Uh, But for the Christian, what we need to see is that the rule that we need to live by is the rule that we find in Christ. As we seek Christ, as we live in him, as we obey him, as we set our lives in holiness, we see that Christ has to rule and reign in every aspect of our life. And so first he says and instructs wives and husbands. And this passage, uh, as you can see, uh, another parallel passage for your own study this week would be Ephesians 5, verses 21 through 6-4. And really the, the rule of relationships for the Christian is this. It comes from Ephesians 5, 21. says, be subject to one another out of reverence for Christ. And so what does it look like for us to be uh, walking in reverence with the Lord Jesus and others? And so Paul says, first, we see this in a marriage relationship. And what we'll see is through the marriage relationship to parents, to slaves and masters, he addresses first the subordinate and then the one who holds authority and carries that authority. So, Firstly, you're like, hold on a second, let's talk about authority and submission, right? Because the first instruction comes to wives, and it says, wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord, right? Every lady that I've ever talked to, as we read scripture here, they cringe a little, right? They're like, oh, why, (laughs) right? There's that fierce streak of independence, right? I know my wife is looking at me right now with daggers saying, hold on a second, (laughs) I've got some thoughts and I want to share them, right? (laughs) 
So what does submission actually mean? What is the instruction that is here? Uh, first, I want you to know that this instruction comes as something that God has ordained from the beginning of creation. God tells us through his word in Genesis that he creates humans as male and female. And as he created male and female in his image and in his likeness, there is an equality that needs to be respected. There's an equality that needs to be held uh, firmly. And that is that we are creator, or creations of God. We are set in his image and in his likeness. And therefore, all people, whether male or female, are worthy of respect. So first, that creation mandate that we're made in the image and likeness of God. As we continue to see in Genesis, in Genesis chapter 2, God creates the woman out of the man for his good. So he creates the woman for man to help him. And this is a relationship in which they're equal, but they have distinct roles. And these roles are not meant to be domineering. They are meant to be exercised with care and love. And then in Genesis 3, we actually see what happens in the fall as Eve listens to the serpent, is deceived by the serpent, and then Adam, with her, rebels against God. And in the rebellion, God tells us in Genesis 3, verses 15 through 17, and all the way through the end of that chapter, that there will be consequences for this rebellion. And one of the first primary things that God tells Adam and Eve is first, he says, there's going to be pain in childbearing, right? So there's going to be pain in childbearing. You're welcome. You can thank Adam and Eve for that one, right? Second, he says that the woman is going to want to rule over her husband. So if you feel that uh, little streak of rebellion in your heart as you come to the scripture this morning, as you hear, wives, submit to your husbands, we want you to know that that is because of our natural state, our fallen state. In Adam and Eve. This is not a cultural thing. This is a creation thing. We in our rebellion have gone against God and that rebellion has led to us now facing the consequences of our sin. And so, wives, hear this this morning. The word of God proclaims this truth not because men want to domineer you, not because your husbands want to have the right say in everything, but because of the consequences of the fall. There's a uh, displacement in our relationships. Women want to rule over their husbands. You know what husbands want to do in return? We want to be passive. We don't want to take responsibility and authority. We are like Adam, and we say to God, the woman you gave me made me do this, right? We don't take responsibility for our own actions. But Paul says, wives, submit to your husbands. And so it's important for us not to put our 21st century lens on a 1st century letter. But it's important for us also to recognize that this isn't just some sort of cultural writing that Paul is proclaiming. This is something that he sees as a scriptural teaching from the beginning of scripture all the way to where he is here writing to the Colossians. This isn't just him proclaiming, hey, here's the social standard, follow the social standard. He is saying... Wives, you should submit to your husbands because it is fitting to the Lord. The motivation for wives to, to follow their husband's lead, to respect them, to lean on them, to receive their care, to receive their instruction, is not out of their dominance. The motivation is based on pleasing the Lord. 
So Paul writes this instruction out of a heart of care and love. Receive these things because it is pleasing in God's sight. And what should rule the Christian's life? It's what the Westminster Catechism says. For us, as we worship God in obedience, we find that the chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Our desire, our main motive, our main rule needs to be to glorify God and to enjoy him. And this happens in the relationship of husbands and wives. But notice, Paul continues, and he doesn't just have something to say to wives, he has something to say to husbands. I love as I get to do weddings. I've been, I did two weddings this summer, a lot of fun at Emily and James. Yeah, hey, month and a half, two months in, right, enjoying their, their marriage so far. Uh, we just did a, a wedding a couple of weeks ago. And I love preaching from Ephesians 5. And I, I specifically do that because as we look to Ephesians 5, Paul has a lot to say to husbands in instructing them. And I, I don't know about you, uh, ladies, you can say amen if you agree with this, but husbands need a whole lot more instruction than wives do sometimes, right? I know I do. <laughs> I know I need my wife. Like, I tell her all the time, hey, I can't read your mind. You have to tell me what you're thinking. <laughs> and she's like, yeah, no. She's like, you should know. You should know, right? <laughs> I need the instruction. <laughs> and we all need instruction. And so Paul, as he writes to them in Ephesians 5, he has a whole lot to say. But hear what he says to the Colossians. This is really important. If our tendency is to lead and to dominate Genesis 3, Genesis 2, we've been called into dominion. Hear what Paul says to the Colossians. Husbands, love your wives and don't be bitter with them. Oh, man, this is good. This is real good. Rachel and I have the best fights when I'm washing dishes. Yep, she's not even involved, right? I just fight with her when I'm washing dishes. This is like something that happens here, but... What Paul says here is we are to love our wives and to not become bitter with them. The danger of me having fights with Rachel as I wash my dishes is that bitterness can grow in my heart because I'm not actually communicating with her. I'm falling into Adam's tendency of being a uh, passive man, not leading, not taking my love and concern to her. And even when I speak to her, I have to admit to you that there are times when I want to say something to her because I want her good, but I say it out of a heart uh, that comes off as sharp and uh, unempathetic. And and so if if you're like me this morning, you hear Paul's call. He says, love your wives. In, In Ephesians 5, he specifically says, husbands are to love their wives in such a way that they would sacrifice themselves like Christ has for the church. Husband, Have you considered this morning the sacrifice that you need to make for your wife? Because Jesus himself laid down his body for his bride, the church. And sometimes we're like, you know what, we're not feeling respected. Do you hear the command of God to love your wife in such a way that you would sacrifice your very being for her? Listen, I know Manchester United is coming on at 11.30 today. I'm looking forward to that game. But you know what I'm looking more forward to is date night with Rachel tonight. We're going to have an awesome time. We're going to play mini golf because we have a battle going on right now. You can all pray for her. (laughs) She wants to beat me by the end of the summer, but so far, I'm the reigning champion. (laughs) 
But don't worry, she gives me a run for my money. Trust me, she calls me on my pride. But here is Paul writes, and he says, husbands, love your wives. He's giving them a litmus test as he says, and don't be bitter with them. If you want to know how you're loving your wife, you need to look at the bitterness of your heart. When your wife says something that's hard that you need to hear, do you grow in bitterness and anger towards her? Are you receiving those hard words, that instruction, those things that they need to point out? Uh, lately, Rachel has been really good at serving me my piece of humble pie. Uh, she has been really good. Just The Lord has been using her to speak into my own sin areas and say, hey, you know what? You're saying this, but I need you to hear that this is what's actually happening. Sounds like you're a little upset. Why are you upset? Is it because somebody attacked your ego? Is it because somebody pushed against what you thought was right? Are you willing to listen to others? And here goes the pie. So wives, submit to your husbands and do so in a way that respects them and helps them to know that you're willing to follow their lead. But husbands, love your wives so that you don't grow in bitterness. See, our, our authority, our love is measured not by authority. It's not measured by power. It's measured by how we care, how we care for each other. Are you willing to lay it all down for the sake of your wife so that she would grow in Christ's likeness and obedience to God and in his glory. So he instructs them. He says, the rule and motivation for all this. Why? For wives, it's fitting to the Lord. For husbands, it is pleasing to God. But then he takes another moment to speak into the family, and he writes to children. He says, children, obey your parents in everything, for this is pleasing to God. Oh, kids are going to love this one, right? Obey your parents in what? Everything. Right? <laughs> That's my little brother, rebellious, right? <laughs> He's like, nope, not happening. <laughs> so a good question that comes from the text here is, what is everything? Right? What is everything? Um, here's the clause I'll put on this, and I think Paul would agree with this clause. Everything that honors and glorifies God. If something is not biblical, not scriptural, not glorifying to God, it is something to be uh, negotiated. But here it says that children are to obey their parents because it's pleasing to God. And so kids, what we need to hear, right? I'm still a kid, right? Many of you are like, "Uh uh-huh, we know that. I've got gray hairs, I promise, right? Um, But as we walk with our parents, we need to know that our obedience is something that pleases God. And so what encourages us as kids is when we walk in obedience, our parents receive joy. Because we're not just listening to them, we're telling them that we value them. We're telling them that what they have to say matters to us. And sometimes you might be upset, sometimes you might be angry, and you might not want to hear what your parent has to say. But know that they speak for your good and for your care and out of love and compassion toward you. So obedience is something that brings them happiness. It brings them joy, but it also brings them encouragement. And as children obey their parents, obedience now becomes a mark of their hope, a mark of their hope. They look and they say, ah, as as our children can follow the Lord, we can follow the Lord. Uh, But I want you to hear one thing. Obedience needs to take place in the home. 
The, its main and primary place of instruction is in the home. This is not Paul saying, hey, in the church you need to come and, and discipline your children. There might be a time and place for that, right? Uh, kids running around like, like crazy, right? We, we love snack time because it's like that's when all the kids are like, yeah, let's go. There's poles. I don't know what it is. You bring them into any fellowship hall, right? They love those basement poles, the structural poles, right? They're like, ooh, I can spin on this. I can climb this. I can jump on this. It's amazing, right? Uh, we used to, in our last church that we were serving in, we had this one kid. He was like a monkey. He would climb anything, like absolutely anything. We'd be like, hey, where's, where's this, this boy? And we're like, oh, let's go check. Either in fellowship hall or he's out in a tree climbing something, right? And his parents really had a tough time disciplining him about this because he just wanted to climb. But nonetheless, okay, discipline is appropriate there. We want his safety, right? But hear, hear this. The best instruction of obe- or of, for obedience in your children is in your home. Bring them to the place where every day they're going to see your interaction. They're going to see your life. They're going to see everything on display. Not just the place where they, you want them to have their best behavior. Have it, in, it start in your home. Speak to them out of love and care and compassion. And know that as they grow in obedience, that it will display itself not only at home, but outside of the home, and it will glorify God. So parents, be encouraged. Be encouraged to love your children and to teach them to obey the scriptures. After this, he he says in verse 21, Fathers, do not exasperate your children so they won't become discouraged. And just as much as obedience encourages parents, disobedience discourages them. And it writes here, Fathers, do not exasperate your children. I mean, I don't know what Paul sees, but he must have some pretty good insight. Because, right, isn't it the tendency of all dads to just, like, twist your buttons, right? And to make sure that you are, are getting poked just where you need to, right? Don't exasperate your children. That means don't overwhelm them. Don't overwhelm them in such a way that they won't even respond to your instruction. That's what it means to exasperate them. It means to discourage them in such a sense that they can't actually walk in a way that would bring healthiness and obedience to your instruction. And and know this, friends, too. I I mean, I I feel like I'm finding this out more and more as I'm around children and praying that the Lord will bless us with children soon. The truth is that when we get irritable, kids know that, right? Like, I was just telling a friend yesterday, I used to love to work my mom up, right? I used to wait for my mom to just like get to the point where she was going to explode, right? She's not here this morning, so I can confess this sin. <laughs> Dad, don't let her listen to this recording. Right? <laughs> I used to just love to work her up because seeing her go off was like satisfying, right? But that was so evil of me, right? My poor mother. Now I look at it and I see my younger siblings giving her a hard time, and I'm like, oh boy. I tell my little brother and sister all the time. Hey, you are like two seconds away from the top coming off and going in eruption mode, okay? So dial it back, kid. Dial it back. But as I used to work for her irritability, uh, she used to respond out of anger, logical conclusion, right? And it didn't always result in my satisfaction. It resulted sometimes in my discouragement. 
And then those moments that she was genuinely trying to instruct me, genuinely trying to teach me, trying to lead me and things, those moments that I've had with my dad where he was trying to genuinely teach me. And I was speaking out of rebellion and stubbornness and saying, I don't want, no, I, I'm, I'm a fierce independent teenager. Right? I didn't want that instruction. But it would frustrate them because they did have care. But in my heart, all I could see was rebellion. And that irritability led to my discouragement. And so fathers, as you hear this, as parents, as you hear this instruction, know that as we're irritable, kids have great sense. They can know when something's up. And the best thing is to be honest and to say, hey, something's bothering me. Let them learn how to weigh through their emotions with you. Let them learn how to have healthy conversations. Let them know when enough is enough and when their anger is appropriate and when it's inappropriate. And the best place to do that is at home. So when they want to have that fight in the middle of the grocery store, hey, hold on a second. We're getting you in the car, <laughs> right? Uh, I have another story for that too, but <laughs> don't have enough time to share all my good stories of how I was a rebellious kid. <laughs> Although my parents would love that. <laughs> but s- see here, the, the call, the drive here is so that fathers, why should they do these things to honor the Lord, to please the Lord? Why do we not want our children to become exasperated? It's not just so that they'll do what we want. It's not just so that they'll walk in obedience. It's so that they can learn that obedience pleases God. And so as we see our children walk in obedience, praise them for obeying you. Praise them and teach them to praise the Lord as they walk in obedience and instruction. Celebrate moments and teach in the hard moments. It's a balance to be played. So in the family, wives, submit to your husbands. Husbands, love your wives. Don't become bitter with them. Children, obey your parents. Fathers, don't exasperate your children. Why? Because this pleases the Lord. The motivation is the rule of Christ. The second relationship we see here, Paul uh, writes to slaves and masters. Another, just hitting the brakes for a moment. As we look to this text, we, one danger that we could face is that we want to see our lens of history in the light of biblical uh, scripture, right? We, we can sometimes read slavery and we can think back to our own battles of slavery here in the United States. And so we can't read all of those things into the text this morning, but what we can recognize is that the Bible shows us is that every person has value when they're disvalued and they're not, uh, they're not treated with honor and respect that that is something that uh, we would not endorse. It's something that would not bring um, pleasure to the Lord. And so in the first century, slavery was a, a practice. Praise the Lord today, it's at least here in the United States, it's not in other nations it may be. But praise the Lord that he is working through us. And, and so as we write, as we see Paul's writing in this sense, we need to know that this this was something that was normal in their cultural setting. And so as he writes to them, he writes not just with principles that um, speak into their cultural setting, but principles that we can see that relate to our current setting that can speak into us and the rest of our lives. And so as we look at slaves and masters, we can think of our role in the workplace. Um, 
So, so here are these things. I think there's some good applications. So first, uh, his first instruction, he has a lot to say to slaves and masters in this passage. He says in, in verse 22, Slaves, obey your human masters in everything. Don't work only while being watched as people pleasers, but work wholeheartedly for the Lord, fearing the Lord. So th- the first thing he says is, obey your masters, right? And so uh, another clause to this, too, is he's, he's writing to believers, right? This is an instruction for believers. He says, believing slaves, you need to obey your human masters in everything. So obedience is another good mark for them. And he says, the, the temptation of obedience is that they face uh, is that they, they only want to work while they're being watched, right? How many of you have ever felt this way at work, right? You're like, hey, what can I do to get by but not be noticed and stay out of trouble? Anybody had that feeling before? Okay, yep, yep. I can totally admit that. I can totally admit that, especially in those jobs. I'll tell you one of them. Here's my confession. Uh, raking sand traps at a golf course. Horrible job. <laughs> Miserable. Hated every second of it, right? But every morning I would come into work. I'd get there at 5.30 in the morning, and I'd get in my golf cart with my rakes, and I'd drive around to each sand trap, and I would rake those sand traps out. I'd do just as much as I needed to to make them look nice and pretty. And uh, those moments that, that the boss wasn't coming around in his golf cart to watch my every move, man, I would relax. <laughs> right? It was hot. My hands were blistered. I was having a hard time, but I would see those moments, and I would get lazy. That laziness wasn't good. In fact, if I had actually finished my job earlier, I could have gone home. So it worked against me. But hear this. He says, don't just work well because people are watching you. So don't find the place. Christian, as you work in your workplace, don't find the way that you can work just enough to get by without being noticed and just enough to get out of trouble. Work as you would work for the Lord. What you are doing in your job would be pleasing to God if you would do it as if you were working for him and with him. And one of the things that you need to hear is that in the workplace, you are working for the Lord. There are non-believers you're going to encounter. And so you have the opportunity to share the gospel. You have the opportunity to be an ambassador for Christ in your setting. So take advantage of those moments. And one of the best ways that people on the outside of Christianity can see the gospel is through your work ethic. They can see, wow, that guy works his tail off. Why does he work his tail off? That lady is sincere in everything she does. What is the difference with her? As they bring these questions, they see you and they say, you know, it's kind of annoying. You do everything really well. Why are you doing that? <laughs> say, I'm working because I want to bring honor to God. So he says, obey your human masters and everything. Don't work only buying or when being watched. Don't work as people pleasers. Don't just try to make your boss happy so that you can earn the next step. Really work because of the good of the organization, the good of what is happening. And then he says in verse 23, whatever you do. He qualifies this in all areas of what they're doing in their work. I think this is a verse that's sometimes taken out of context. Whatever you do, do so to the Lord. I think that's a good principle, but speaking specifically, this is in the context of work. In the context of of life, I I think we should work to the glory of God and work as hard as we can. But nonetheless, here, it says, do it from your heart. Do it from your heart. 
So there are going to be those moments where your body is like, nope. Your mind is like, nope, don't want to do it. But do it from your heart. In your heart, tell yourself that you are working for the glory of God. Let your heart be ruled by the motivation of glorifying God. And it tells us this. In verse 24, our hearts can be encouraged as we work for the Lord because we know that in Christ we have an inheritance. There's an inheritance that will come from knowing the Lord and working for him. And what Paul's trying to say to these slaves in his context is saying, hey, listen, even though you would work hard and you might not receive the payment that you deserve here on earth, when you work for the Lord, you will receive the payment that you deserve in Christ. Christ will value you. He will treat you as a son, a daughter, an heir with him. You will receive what you are worthy of in the Lord. And then he gives them another promise. In verse 25, For the wrongdoer will be paid back for whatever wrong he has done, and there is no favoritism. God does not look upon our workers and say, Hey, here's the CEO. He deserves a little bit more of this. And here's the janitor. He only deserves this. No, he sees no favoritism. He doesn't see rank in the kingdom of God. There's no rank in heaven, at least among the saints. We know that God is perfectly just. So we need to hear what Romans 12 says, that vengeance is the Lord's, that he will work in his power. And then he... He closes up by saying, Masters, deal with your slaves justly and fairly, since you know that you too have a master in heaven. And, and so for most of us, it would be hard to uh, imagine that there could be Christian slave owners in our context. That would be crazy. But Paul, as he writes to them, he says, Hey, know that as you're a master, you have a master in heaven. And so this reminds me again, Genesis 1, every human... Male and female is created in the image of God and worthy of respect. And so, friends, in your workplace, you need to see the CEO like you see the janitor and the janitor like you see the CEO, knowing that everybody is worthy of respect, worthy of honor, because they've been made in the image of God. So as we walk in Christ, as we're built in him, as we're rooted up or rooted in him and built up in him, as we're encouraged and strengthened in the faith, we need to let the rule of Christ reign in our relationships, specifically as we look to the person of Christ. And so the question that comes with that is, have you sub submitted your life to Christ today? Have you become a Christian? Have you responded to the gospel? Jesus has died for your sins. He was buried and he rose from the grave. Have you repented? Have you turned from your sin? entrusted by faith in Jesus' work to save you. Because all of these relationships outside of that don't take their right form and shape until you get that one right. So first, consider the gospel. Second, see your relationship with a local church. Are you plugged in and active in a local church setting? There are plenty of gospel-preaching churches in our area that I'd be happy to plug you into if this is one that's too far from you. We would love to have you at Church of Hope. We're going to be doing a members class next month. We'd love to have more of you commit yourself to membership in the church, to sub submit yourself and your life to the other believers in this place for the mission of God. 
But then also, let's look at our families. Husbands, are we loving our wives? Wives, are we submitting to our husbands? Children, are we obeying parents? Fathers and parents, are we loving our children and pushing them on to glorifying God? As we work, are we working out of hearts that love God and want to glorify Him? Or are we doing what we can just to get by to be comfortable? And next week, we'll look at the rest of Colossians 4 and close up our time. But please join me in a moment of prayer. Father, we thank you that through Jesus, we have a new identity. That in Jesus, we have an inheritance that comes from you. That we know what your word says, that we will be heirs and sons and daughters with you. We will sing with the other saints and proclaim your goodness. And so, Lord, we see that there's practical teaching for every aspect of our life as the Christian, in our church, in our families, in our workplace, and next week we'll see with outsiders. So help us to glorify you this day. Help us to lift our voices in praise and to remind one another of the goodness of the gospel, of our redemption, and that you have promised that if he has begun a work in us, that he will complete it. So we look to you, Lord Jesus. We look to your return. Complete your work and bring your glory. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, if you would like to, please uh, join us as we respond in song by singing.